In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So we're his sponsor church. We're his sponsor for all of his religious visa. And uh, so we'll be getting more updates as the church go. We'll update you as well, too. So anyways, that was awesome. All right. One verse for our um, tithes and offerings today. Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says this. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus uses those first few words, give, and it shall be given to you. Middle of the week when I was leaving here, Michelle, I needed to stop and get hamburger. Give you a little secret. If you go to Sam's Club, um, they do markdowns on hamburger, right? They, do a, they have a markdown. And I looked at it, and I thought, man, that's expensive. How many of you have noticed some of the groceries, like, that's expensive. That's like, you know, hamburger. Well, the next morning I woke up, and I texted Stephen of the food ministry, and I said, Stephen, when a person gets a box of food, how much do you think is in that box? Like, what would it cost if I had? Because I've seen tubes of three-pound ground beef. I've seen tri-tips, I've seen steaks, I've seen a lot of those things, you know, going out, plus eggs and breads and all that. He says, probably about $100 or so. Well, then we sat yesterday and we were figuring out, we had an expert in the grocery field that said, no, no, you're, you're looking at $150 a box. So I thought about that. I added that up from yesterday. I thought about that this morning. 169 people got a box. Some got a little extra. If it was just $100, we gave away almost $17,000 in food yesterday. Right? That's, I mean, that's pretty amazing. What if somebody just put $17,000 in cash in your trunk? Oh, praise the Lord, I'm out of here. Have a great day, right? You'd be thinking something different. If it was $150 a box, it would be $25,000. How did we give all that away? Well, it's a blessing, right, to give and to see what Jesus does, right? To see what Jesus does. That's what fills us is that giving part. So as we do each and every week, I want to put this prayer up on the screen. And would you pray it? Believe Jesus' words as we give. It's given back. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's pray this together. As I give it today's offering, I align myself with Jesus' words to be a giver and I believe that I will have it measured back to me so that I will always be a blessing for his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're giving today in service, there is an envelope in the seat back pocket. You can place that in the slot that's on the wall as you exit. If you go to our website, hillschurcharcadia.org, you can give online. All right. Well, Eric, come on forward here. This is his and Anna's last Sunday uh, with us at the church, and so I asked him to speak today. And I actually went and looked at this back up. June 28th of 2001. That was your first Sunday. And so every week what I did was I said, can you come back next week? Can you come back? No, no, we have to do that. But uh, we want you to um, give us the word today, and then we'll pray for you uh, at the end. You bring a tremendous blessing. I don't know if the congregation is going to like my worship leading next week, but, you know, hey, tough, right? All right. They, they can go ahead and tell. <laughs> it's about the heart. Amen. Good morning, church. 
I am so honored to be able to share with you this morning the Word of God. So, and by the way, honored, Nehemiah's been honored to also serve here uh, for the years that he actually stood. How, how many, how long is that actually? Like three years? Almost three years of two and a half, almost three years? Wow. Uh, so, praise God. How many of you guys, if you don't have your Bibles or you have an electronic device, we're going to be in the Old Testament today. We're going to be in... 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. And I was reading this just as my own personal like devotion. And it really ministered. There was just so much kind of leaping off the page. So I thought, Lord, is this for a word? And then pastor said, if I could share it. And I said, okay, I think I got something, you know. Um, if I had to title the message, I, I, I think it would be something like, remembering who God made you. Remembering who God made you. Because I think in our journey with Christ, we, we go through times where sometimes we're walking as if we have forgotten that you're a child of God. You're loved of God. You're a person of covenant and promise. God called you out of, out of everybody in the world God called you by name, and he knew you. Even before you were born, God knew you. Amazing. And that's how God sees us. So as we go, uh, I got to want to get a little context. Here's a context. Context here in this, in this passage is this. King Saul had just been anointed king over all of Israel. Up until that point, Israel was a theocracy, which means that they were governed and ruled by God. By through prophets. But they said, I want to be like everybody else. How many of you guys ever said that? I want to have a king too. I want to have a king too. So they got a king and God chose Saul. This will be one of his greatest exploits that he done. Because if you know the story of Saul, it's a little tragic. But here is the calling of God and I think there's some things we can get from this today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this word. We ask that we'll drop into our souls, that you will speak to our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, upon anointing Saul, there was a few men who were a little bit, whose God had moved their hearts to serve him, and they followed him. But just like everybody who gets raised up or called or, or has a position or gets favor, there were what they call haters. We call them haters today. People who don't like it, oh, who does Saul think he is? I, he, how is the son of Kish going to rule? How is he going to, you know, do this or that? Well, God's about to show us exactly how he does raise a man up, amen? How he does bring someone from obscurity to a place of a king. So in verse 1, it says this, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So here is Jabesh Gilead, a providence of Israel. And here they are going to Nahash, who is an Ammonite, the enemy of God. And they're saying, uh-oh, we can feel the enemy at our doorstep. He's right there. Instead of going to war with the enemy, hey, man, let's try to make a covenant with them. Or let's make an agreement with the enemy. Because nobody needs any bloodshed. Nobody needs anybody to die here. How many of you guys know you can't make a covenant with the enemy? <laughs> you can't. 
you know, it might feel like if you compromise a certain area or did something a certain way that maybe it'll be a little bit easier in life. I don't have to argue with them as much. I don't have to, I don't have to uh, uh, find myself in awkward positions. But we cannot compromise with the enemy or the world at that, who the enemy is manipulating. Amen? And I, and I read this and I said, how many of us, how many of us ever tried to make a covenant with the enemy? I hope not. Amen. But we don't. People often compromise to avoid a fight, but spiritual warfare is inevitable. Let me say that again. People often compromise to avoid a fight, but spiritual warfare is inevitable. We often have to stand up for what we believe because the devil ain't going to let you have it. Amen? He's not going to let you have it. You think that we're going to live peaceable, you know, just have a peaceable time. And that's how I like to, I like drama-free life and everything. But then when we think it's drama-free and everything, here comes the enemies. Oh, man, they're living too cush over there. Oh, you think you're all cush and quiet over there. And he comes in like a snake. That he is, and he tries to disrupt the peace of the home, the peace of the family, the peace of church, the peace of structure, whatever you have going on, your relationships, and he tries to rattle you. And the answer to that is not to make covenant or to try to blank a breeze over it. The answer is to stand, amen, to stand against our enemy. Because look what it says. And Natash, the Ammonite, answered and said, okay, okay, on this condition I'll do it. I'll make a covenant with you, but you got to put out your right eye. And bring reproach to all of Israel. Okay, the devil would say, okay, I'll do that thing. I'll work with you, but you're going to lose something. You're going to lose your spiritual sight. You're going to lose your eyes. And I thought about that, how the eye is so important, how it's what we see through. And it's like how Satan likes to, you, you can't compromise with him. He, he, takes, he takes more than you want. <laughs> it's like, I would like to, but he wants to take everything. He wants to take your sight. I thought about Samson when Samson was uh, caught by the Philistines finally. He had given up his strength. He had been a mighty man of God, and he is a mighty man of God in the scriptures. He just had weaknesses. But before he did his final feat, both of Samson's eyes had been gouged out by the enemy. And it cost him something because he had compromised and covenanted with his enemy. See, the enemy wants to bring reproach upon you. He wants people to look at you and say, ah, see, I thought he was a Christian. I thought she was a Christian. Ah, she's over there preaching, giving her little tracks over here. I thought she was a Christian. Oh, I heard she went out with the, the girls after work to the bar. You know what I mean? I thought he was a Christian. The enemy doesn't want peace. He wants your eyes, amen. <laughs> he wants you to be blended. He wants us to blind it, to bend to the cultures of this sifting sand that's going on, Amen. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come to you. So Jabesh Gilead, Jabesh, the elders of Jabesh were getting together and they said, man, <laughs> when they found out they were going to lose their eyes, they are saying, well, hold on, wait a minute, time out. Give us seven days. Let us see if there's someone to help. And I, and, I, and I had a question, I guess when I was reading this, I thought to myself, my question is, did they forget that God is still a deliverer? 
in spite of the horrible report and the enemy at the doors? Did they forget that he was the God who had just, who had delivered them from Egypt? Did they forget that through all the years, hundreds of years, they, he was a God who saves and delivers? See, there's always a chance with God. When the odds are all against you and it seems like there's no hope at all, there is always a chance with God. Always. It doesn't matter how bleak it looks. He spoke, the Bible says he spoke to nothing and created something. <laughs> God's spirit was moving upon what they said void and emptiness, which means disheveled, just like out of order, darkness. God's spirit is moving on that situation now. It might seem disheveled, out of order. What in the world is this? But his spirit is moving on that right now as we speak. You know, it's, it's impossible with man. It's possible with God. So they're scared. I don't blame them. They're kind of like, wow, what the heck's going on? But the same God who delivered them before, who delivers by few or by many, can still deliver today. So the messengers came to Gibeah and Saul, and they told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people started lifting their voices, and they wept. So it got to the town where Saul had lived, the town of Gibeah. And when they heard it, what did they begin to do? They begin to cry and weep. And it reminded me of what Pastor had preached the other day about the different reports that the spies gave when they came back to the camp. How ten of them came back with an evil report, like, oh, man, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of milk and, and honey there, and there's big fruit, and yes, yes, it is as they say, but there's giants in the land. And, man, wait a minute, and I'm paraphrasing, we look like grasshoppers, man. Oh, the people started crying. Oh, my God, we're like grasshoppers to them. You might say they had a grasshopper mentality, amen? They felt like they were small to the giants because they were looking at themselves and they weren't looking at God whom they served. You know, problems are big sometimes. When you get a, when you get a report like, like you might have cancer, things are getting real big right away. And maybe you've been there. And I know we've been there. And it feels like scary, like, what's that? wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My God is bigger than that. My God is bigger than that report right there. But the way they responded was they started to weep. They started to lift their voices. Maybe you have been like that. Maybe it has impacted you like that. Israel kind of has a state where I'm, I'm kind of reading and I'm saying, man, they feel a little bit hopeless, a lot of them. Like they have forgotten. Thus, don't forget who you are, amen. It's like their emotions were dictating. Even if your emotions say something, guys, today you might be feeling a little, little sad or maybe you feel great. Praise God. You should feel great. You're in the house of the Lord, amen. But even if you feel down, your emotions don't sit on the throne. God sits on the throne. Let me say that again. Even if you feel down, our emotions, they don't sit on the throne. God sits on the throne. Because our emotions go like this. Thank God God is firm and stable, all-knowing. He doesn't move. No, sh no turning on him, no shadow of a turning. He remains faithful. See, they, the evil report is, is, was given to the people of Gibeon, and the people wept. They just started to weep. They felt helpless. It was a bad report. Like the spies were saying. How, how, how much did those reports impact the masses? The 
Remember we said that, uh, Pastor said that? How much does that impact people? Sometimes you got to just be strong. <laughs> Somebody has to be strong around here, amen? Because <laughs> those, those situations can impact other people around you, how you respond to your trial, your tribulation. Remember who you are. You're a child of God. You're a man and woman of God. So when that happens, everyone's unraveling. You're standing firm and strong because you know, man, wait a minute. I know they're, they're scared about this right now, but God's in control. That's who you are. Your, 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 your position in your family. Remember who you are. You're a man. You're a woman of God in your family. So when others are saying there's no hope, you have something they may not have or are not seeing right now. And that is God. That is Jesus. So reaction can have adverse effects on the masses. How we respond to things can change the atmosphere to those around us. It can change. If you have a good attitude about it and you have a strong position, you could change your atmosphere where you're at. You might start thinking like, well, wait a minute. What, what, are, we, what are we scared about? You're right. We have a God. Amen. There is a God in heaven. Notice... Next verse says, verse 5 now, there was Saul coming uh, behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. Wow. So notice, I, I, there, I always find things I just kind of trip out. I go, Saul is a, anointed king, but he's in the, he's in the field with the sheep. Kind of interesting. I, I, I just thought that's interesting for those of you who look in the Word. What's he doing out there? He's supposed to be the king of Israel, and he's still doing a shepherd job. Okay, well, Jews were, were shepherds. But I notice that, that Saul is not quite there yet. He's, he's still tending sheep, and God wants to raise him up from obscurity into a, a position of high, high authority because whom God anoints, he appoints. Amen. But Saul's response is one of outrage. You know the feeling you get when you hear injustice? You guys ever watch something on, on TV and you hear it on the news and you're just so worked up because you know that that's wrong. That's wrong. Or have you seen uh, The Sound of Freedom? You guys ever seen The Sound of Freedom? You guys, you walk out of that thinking, no, absolutely not. That's gross and that's wrong, right? And there's a righteous indignation there. Are you guys there? <laughs> Some of you guys are, man, I'm putting you guys to sleep. Sorry. Sorry, Pastor, my last word here, I put them all to sleep for you. <laughs> amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that righteous indignation, amen? It's that righteous indignation uh, that, that wells up and the Spirit of God came. It's, it's the righteous indignation that fell upon Jesus when he was, when he was uh, one end of the temple and he saw them selling all kinds of stuff in the front where it was supposed to be prayer and they're supposed to be getting uh, stuff for worship. They were selling and doing all this merchandising. And he said, you know what? Uh, you know, and he sat down. John says he sat down and he, and he tied a whip together. So he knew what he was going to do. He just he sat down and said, all right, I got something for you guys. Hold on. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. Got the whip, started flipping tables and whipping people. Jesus, Lord Jesus, our God, Jesus, started whipping people with a whip because he said that. My house should be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of wolves, right? So he whips them and, and throws them out. That's the anger that's rising up. And I think sometimes maybe you've been in prayer. Maybe you've been uh, 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 in a place, and you see something, an injustice, and something rises in you. And it does one of two things. It gets you angry, and it causes you to want to do something. 
Maybe it was to start something or to stand up for something, an injustice. Or maybe it was even to pray about an injustice and to stand strong in prayer about it because you knew very well that that was absolutely not okay. Well, there is Saul. He's keeping sheep, which I think he's living beneath what God had called him to do, which is to be king. So God's about to raise him up and say, come on, man, I didn't call you to keep sheep. I called you to keep the people of Israel. So God begins to call him up. And the way he does is the spirit of God comes upon him. He begins to get a little angry and upset because he knows that what's going on is unjust. It's not righteous. So he's upset and he's, and, and he's, and he's doing what the spirit of God is putting in his heart. So what does he do in verse 7? He takes a yoke of oxen, cuts them into pieces, and sends them to the territories of Israel by the hands of messengers. Wow. Talk about a heavy, heavy like, wait, let me chop these up. Let me chop the cattle up. Let me send it all over Israel to give a picture of what's going to happen if you don't join the army. Now, that's a draft, amen? <laughs> that's a draft. Yeah, chop up all these pieces of cattle and, and send them out so they could see this image. And I thought to myself, well, you know, this is like we were talking about agriculture. They know about agriculture. They know about livestock, and they know the importance of livestock, and it keeps them alive, and it's part of their covenants. And when you cut that, it's very severe, so... What Saul is saying is, what I'm calling you to do is very serious. We need to get together, band together, so we can fight. It isn't a time to lay down, lay back. It's a time to band together, and it's a time to fight. Huh, interesting. Not in my notes, but isn't it a time to band together and fight for this society, our culture, the things that are going on in this life? where things are, things are being taught to our kids is just garbage sometimes. It's not math. It's not arithmetic. It's gender and all kinds of weird sexual stuff that isn't of God, and they have no business in the classroom. Isn't there a time to fight? We need to gather together, right? So this was a heavy message. It was a heavy picture. But the fear of the Lord, it says, fell upon the people, and they came out with one consent. And when he numbered uh, them at Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah were 30,000. So basically, 330,000 troops, that's not a bad, not a bad uh, a gathering of troops, came together to fight in the battle. He enlisted 330,000 people. It was a time to be bold. It was a time to be a little obnoxious, you know, with that, with that presentation of, of chopped up things like, whoa. <laughs> you know, because the world don't care anymore. Nowadays, they don't care. They're shoving stuff down our throats. Uh, you guys ever notice that? You watch something? It's like, you know, everything, really? Everything? Everything is woke? <laughs> Seriously? Movies? There's always a social connotation underneath it. There's always some sort of social commentary about how we need to think different. Everything? And I think it's a time to stand. And I think this radical message that he sent, we need a radical message. <laughs> too. We don't have to be afraid. We can have a radical message now because the world's radical. The world's radical. You can cancel me. I only have 100 people on Facebook. Amen? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's true. You know, it's like we, we need to be radical. We need to be radical. Uh, uh, as uh, More radical. I was watching a guy on, on a short video or whatever, preaching as he was getting off the plane. He says, hey, real quick, I just want to share 
that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, and I used to be this way, and God delivered me and, and set me free, and Jesus is the answer. Thank you very much. I want to leave you with that. You can ask him into your heart. You could, you know, real short, simple message. And got off the plane, and I thought to myself, you know how much I wanted to do that, you know, and I never have. You know, don't get me wrong, I share the gospel, but stand in the open, you know, just right there, like up on a bus and just say, listen. You know, and I say that to say we have to, we, we got to, you know, we got to, it's getting crazy out there. And you know what, people, people clap. So you're not the minority there that, don't be, that believes that. There's people who still love the Lord. There's people who still have a godly fear out there that know that madness that's going on, whether it's on your television set, in the news, or even in politics, that this stuff is madness is exactly what it is. It's nothing short of the enemy, amen, trying to manipulate. And here God is calling uh, an army together, and they're standing up. See, the tear, look what it says here. Verse 9 says, And they said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow at this time the sun is hot, you shall have, you shall have help. So tomorrow at this time you're going to have help. And the messengers came and reported the men of, to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh says, Tomorrow we're going to come to you. <laughs> they tell the enemy, imagine, Tomorrow we'll come to you. Because they're going to have help. And you will do whatever seems good to you. Yeah, we're going to be with you tomorrow. We'll be right there. Knowing that 330,000 men were going to be with them. We'll meet you out there in a little bit. We'll be there. So the tears, the panic is about to go away. You know, I, I thought about that. The worry and the concern, something that you found out in one instance, turns from panic to joy. And the song we sung today that though sorrow may be for but a night, joy comes in the morning. Psalms 30, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In an instant, how fast our situations can change. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've been in that tunnel before. I've been there where it feels like you're just going through, you know. You know, I you know I can only imagine like a typhoon or something, like you know the wind. <laughs> you see people going like that. It feels like that, and then all of a sudden, wait, what happened to that trial? <laughs> Just gone. Incredible. And that's how God is. God does. Remember, God made you a covenant people. He's on your side. He's a very help, present help in time of trouble. And so it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp of the, in the morning and killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered. So not two of them were left together. And one day, this Saul, who had never been king, who was working as a shepherd, he never worked as a king one day in his life, apparently, because he's still shepherding. God gave him the military strategy to win the war. Think about that. He was just tending sheep. He goes out there. He had never been in war. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't show that he's been in war. In fact, he was looking for his donkeys when, he, when Saul found him, Samuel found him. He had never been in war, but in one day, God made him, gave him the military strategy to defeat the enemy. Some of us, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're not military strategists. 
But God will give you the strategy you need to defeat your enemy. Yeah. God will give you what you need to do to win that battle in a day. He just, just in an instant. We're wondering because here he is as a shepherd. And then all of a sudden God says, no, it's time now. He gets him. He raises him up. And he has him defeat the Ammonites. God teaches our hands the war. Remember who you are. You're a child of God. A person of covenant. Man, woman, child of God. God will train you how to war. And then the people said to Samuel, who's the ones that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring them over here so we can put them to death. Wow, how the tables change and how swiftly they change. <laughs> we love, first they're all, we'll, we'll follow them. And then some are all, oh, we're going to follow this, this scum, you know. And then he defeats them and they said, where's that guy? Who said that? And look what Saul says. Saul says, not a man shall be put to death today, that today the Lord has accomplished the salvation in Israel. He had never been a king in his life. God made him a warrior, and now he showed him how to have mercy. Never been a king in his life. But God showed him how to war, military battle, and God showed him how to show mercy like a good king. Isn't that cool? Just like that. He had the wisdom. Because when the Spirit of God comes upon you, God will give you the strength you need to be who he called you to be. So what has God called you to be? Remember, you might be, right now you might feel like you're not living up to who you should be. Remember who you are. But if God has called you, God will anoint you. He will appoint you and he will empower you for that which he has called you to do. And this is a word for some people here. There's, I can think of a few. That God has called you into that position and right now you've been sitting there. And you've been sitting there, you've been living underneath, and you've kind of forgotten who you are and who God has called you to be. And God is saying that calling is not without repentance. It's still there. He hasn't changed it. He still has that call in your life. It may feel like you're sitting back right now and you're living underneath it, but God is saying he's pulling you up and out. And don't say, how am I going to do it? Because he will give you the power that you need to do it in the season that you're going to do it in. Don't fear. It's still there. That word has not changed. It wasn't a mistake. It was God's word for you in your life. Hold on to that. Amen? Verse 14 says, And Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and they made Saul king before the Lord at Gilgal. And they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. It was a time of rejoicing. Oh, to win the battle. What a rejoicing. You might be in the battle now, but look, when you win it, you might have, wait, let me, let me rephrase that. You may have lost the battle, but you're not going to lose the war. You may have lost a couple battles. You may have fallen and stumbled, fallen and stumbled, but you're not going to lose the war because the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And in the end, if you guys read the book, we know how it finishes. God wins. Amen. I'm going to close with that thought. We don't need to live beneath our means because God has won our battle. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for today. We thank you for the word. We pray, Lord God, that uh, you would... Uh, maybe there was a, a lot that just got sprayed out there like a shotgun blast. Maybe something ministered to somebody, something to another. Lord, I pray that we would remember some of this 
and that you administer to us throughout the week with some of these truths. And we pray we would be encouraged and strengthened in our walk. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, the difference was the Spirit of God. If you ask the early church, what was the difference? The Holy Spirit, right? What did we need? The Holy Spirit. And we see that even in the Old Testament that there was a difference. And I, I just want to encourage you today. That is what makes the difference in our lives is the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to celebrate you outside with uh, iced coffee, acai, and baptism. <laughs> in the family. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Eric, for Anna, and Lord, we command your blessing upon them. Lord, as they have given, Lord, we right now give back unto them. Strengthen them. Lord, I thank you uh, stirring up his spirit. Thank you for the ministry, Lord, that you have called him to. We remember in Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season, right, a season under heaven. So we bless him. We bless Anna. We bless Hannah. Uh, today, Father, and that you will make the crooked places straight. We thank you that you are their healer. We thank you, Holy Spirit, even right now. Just a fresh measure, Lord, pour out under them, strengthen them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in the kingdom, it's not goodbye. It's I'll see you next Sunday. No, I mean, I'll see you. All right. All right. So let's let them slip out so they can get out there. Would you please, on the outside, would you bless them, hug on them, uh, tell them you're glad. Let them uh, eat, celebrate, fellowship, be with one another. So, Lord, we thank you as we go today. Holy Spirit, direct our steps. We thank you this week that we see turnarounds, and it happens, and it starts in me. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Well, bless you as you go. We'll see you at the coffee cart outside. God bless you.